Welcome to episode 81 of On the Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On the Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now, here's your host, Robbie Samples. The other day, I'm at a play space with my two-year-old and a bunch of dad friends. It's a small space, and we're surrounded by parents, so I take my eye off of him while checking in on my eight-week-old. That's when my toddler decided to do his rounds, checking in with all the other families to see what snacks they had. Mind you, he didn't just check in with the families we knew. He just as confidently wandered into the small clusters of families we had never met. Now, I was busy with a fussy baby and didn't at first notice any of this. But when I turned my attention back to him, he was eating a handful of goldfish crackers. We didn't bring any goldfish crackers, which is when I realized he'd been visiting with all of these families and had helped himself to some snacks along the way. I can just imagine those kids looking around as their snack piles dwindled, wondering, who ate my goldfish? We could all learn so much from a kid who isn't worried about walking up to strangers and making friends. If we had this kind of openness when we were networking, we'd make fast friends and maybe even get offered yummy snacks. Hopefully, when he has grown, he won't have to deal with the self-consciousness many of us feel that hurts our ability to build connections and community. Hopefully, the openness he has today will still be with him so he can easily walk up to strangers and make new friends. If this resonates with you, and you're ready to shift the way you approach the world so you're more open to possibilities, I'm putting together an intimate group experience to help folks tackle these issues. To learn more, go to robbysamuels.com forward slash mastermind. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest is both analytical and creative in nature and enjoys blending the art and science of marketing to tell stories to the right people at the right time and in the right places. Decades ago, she helped the then fastest growing company in American history, Compact Computer. After working at Compact for 14 years, she left to start One Team, a consulting firm that helps senior leaders create internal strategies that support their organization's external growth. As the president and principal consultant at One Team, she serves as an executive advisor and consultant to CEOs and senior organizational leaders to grow their companies with outcomes including IPOs, acquisitions, market share increases, and dramatic leadership development. Her work has enabled sustained growth in a multitude of companies, from startups to Fortune 500 firms, including Aetna and BMC. Please join me in welcoming Karen Walker. Hi, Robbie. Good to be with you. Karen, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Jupiter, Florida, um, which I, I understand you also said you're often flying in seat 2C, which I thought was pretty funny. Yes, but um, we do now have you grounded <laughs> for the moment. Mm-hmm. So I want to just jump right in. It's a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Yeah. Well, there's really powerful questions to start off with. So uh, I love the phrasing of what does leadership mean to me? Because leadership is obviously a giant topic. One could, in fact, create an entire podcast around it. So um, lots of things around leadership. But for me and my focus on leadership 
It's really about supporting CEOs and other senior leaders and organizations to help them create an opportunity for their organizations to work in a place that I call no dumbing down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so no dumbing down is really about uh, having the opportunity to limit your potential and to work into your potential. And we can talk more about that later, but um, to, just to create that space where people can come to work and, and work to their, uh, their highest potential every day. So it's, it's actually about creating, it's like the leader is, is sort of the, the person who has to hold the container for all the yeah. ideas and allow people to access that space. Is that kind of what you're thinking of? Yeah, that's part of it. Part of what happens in organizations uh, frequently, and the reason people don't like to work on teams a lot, is that you have to dumb down to the lowest common denominator on a team because mm. the team can only go as fast or produce as much as the weakest link. And so what, what, what a leader, leader can, can do is help, help create a vision, vision uh, help, help create a container, and then help hold the people mm-hmm. in the container accountable, as they should be holding themselves mutually accountable, to do their highest and best work. So were you the kind of kid early on who sought out leadership opportunities, or were you more of the, the quiet kid in class? My husband, who's a psychologist, would tell you it's all because I'm a first child. He, uh, he never hesitates to remind me that I am a first child. Uh, I was both a quiet kid and, uh, and a leader. I wouldn't say that uh, I had one uh, strength there over the other, and I do consider being quite a strength of mine. Uh, but the, the opportunity to become a leader actually in my professional career uh, first showed up when I went to work in the corporate workplace and I was given leadership opportunities and I took them and it was a pretty clumsy and painful process. And so for that, I have to apologize to my first set of uh, employees and staff. I was reared uh, to be very individualistic and not very dependent on people. And mm-hmm. I expected everybody else to work that way. And a lot of people do, but that's not what, what leading's about. It's also not what good teamwork is about. And so I had to learn that we can create and achieve more by working together. Um, so, uh, as I said a little clumsily, I then um, ended up with a very ter- just a terrific support staff. Uh, and that staff helped me, um, this would be the HROD group for the company I was working for, get the skills training that I needed to know what leadership and management was all about. Mm. Uh, I had lots of opportunities in this organization that was growing very quickly to practice those skills. Uh, And then I also got feedback about how I was doing so I could learn. Uh, And I had some some pretty big blind spots and some good aha moments that I think uh, set me on my path to being a a better and useful leader for for groups and organizations. Was this, so this was after college, was this like in your 20s when you were first given this chance? Yeah. Were you... um, were you given that opportunity because you showed that potential or did someone like see it in you or a little yeah. bit of both? Um, mm-hmm. my, my first job out of college, I was working for a big fortune 100 company and I was getting promoted every six months. So from individual contributor, supervisor to manager to director, et cetera. Uh, and I was there for a few years and I had this great opportunity come along um, at a startup. And, um, and once I went there, uh, we were growing so quickly. We were the fastest growing company in American history at that point that there was like always more to do than there was time to do it and or people to do it. So there were lots of opportunities to step up and lead. Mm. And, um, and that's really where I was sort of uh, in the, the cauldron of, of learning how to lead and, um, uh, you know, a lot of on-the-job training. 
And that little startup is Compaq is what you're referring to. Yes, that little startup was Compaq. <laughs> that little startup. <laughs> well, it was. When I joined, it was. We, amazing. we didn't have any, you know, no revenue. We hadn't shipped any products yet. Had 100 people. And a year later, we were at $111 million and uh, didn't stop from there. And uh, we were like at $15 billion, I think, by the time I left. Wow. And so you were there for- I was there for you know, 14 years. a number of years. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's amazing. What would have changed and shifted in that time? What I know, like you said, lots of opportunities to practice leadership in that space. You left that space and then you went on to, to create one team. Was that right after Compaq? Uh, almost right after. I, I was there, as I said, for, for quite a while. Uh, I had a giant job. I went from being an individual contributor to being in charge of all of their uh, global physical infrastructure. So I had employees mm-hmm. and consultants and contractors all over the world working for me, putting together physical infrastructure. And when I left, I was completely exhausted. And I knew mm. that I wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what. And I realized I would not be able to figure it out as long as I was in that environment. So I gave a little notice and I quit and I moved to New York City and I took some classes at Columbia and I went to hear a lot of interesting speakers I'd always wanted to spend time with. And uh, I met my now husband, who was a PhD psychologist who was doing organization strategy and leadership development consulting. And we took my sort of internal on the ground knowledge uh, and his business background, as well as his uh, consulting experience and started our company. Wow. So you found a lot more than you even bargained for in that by by reaching out and expanding your network. (laughs) In in ways I could never explain. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. so um, at least not in an hour podcast. So um, what was, um, I have so many questions about sort of how you made that shift. I think that, you know, a lot of people these days are starting to, to think about that. And every time there's a recession, there's a huge jump of people who, who want to do that. Yeah. What was hard for you shifting from that world of having, I mean, having people reporting to you, having higher ups to give you direction, you know, having a very clear sense of whether you accomplish something at the end of the day, week, month, year, right. to deciding with your uh, now husband to to launch something on yourself. Like, what was the was there a mental block or a, a thing, a skill set you were yeah. needed? Like, what was the hardship? Yeah. Um, well, I didn't go into it thinking it was going to be hard. There are definitely some things I learned that I would. Uh, help other people think about as they go into this. But I was in a real learning and exploratory part of my life. And I knew that I had enough money in the bank to put food on the table. I was really fortunate about that. So um, I was just trying the next thing. Mm-hmm. And that made it a lot easier for me. Now, what I, what I quickly learned was that I needed the theory to go behind the practice that I knew. So I went back to Columbia and got that. Um, and I didn't have a clue about marketing. I, I, you know, I came from a, a place of independence and if you do the work, they will come. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, there are a lot of people doing a lot of good work who are not getting recognized so the best kept secrets. And so mm-hmm. I learned a lot about that. Um, the biggest shift in terms of going from the big company, the small company was not having a staff around me. And so um, having to do everything myself. Uh, and I did that for many years. And now I, you know, bit by bit, you sort of add the staff back in parts and pieces. but. Um, just having to do everything yourself, which is fine in terms of capability, but not always highest and best use of your time. Right. <laughs> that is um, 
something that I've definitely discovered the last couple of years. Yes. Mm-hmm. Coaching was something I did in a non-monetized fashion because <laughs> I didn't think of myself as a coach. I just sort of did it. Um, to the last few years, this is what I do. And I'm also you know, home with kids, plural. By the time this airs, my second child will have been born. Um, we're awaiting that any moment now. And so, yes, like best use of time and knowing like when to add staff, you know, and it's usually before, if you're smart about it, it's right before you need them. Exactly. And if you're, if you hesitate too long, you're so swamped, you can't, the hiring itself is the thing you don't have time to do. And the training is not something at all in your, in your uh, time capacity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I work with a lot of leaders in, uh, in tech companies, right. Who are growing really fast. And uh, that's probably half to three quarters of my work is with tech companies. So a lot of, a lot of fast paced, fast growth companies. And the rule there is that we hire slightly behind uh, because you want your revenue and your, uh, your income to be in advance of hiring people. So it's when you need, need would be defined as sort of right before you break. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you have to be, you have to be clear about what that moment is. Uh, I think for most of us entrepreneurs, um, particularly in the consulting word, um, hopefully we can get a little further uh, ahead of mm-hmm. that and not quite get to the breaking point. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because, um, when it's a shop of one, it literally could just be folding the doors cause you just didn't have the capability. Exactly. So you and I actually know each other through Dory Clark and she has a story yes. about this when her first book came out. She's now a bestseller selling author three times over. Um, the flood of, of in, inbound in, uh, inquiries and requests um, was completely overwhelming. And I think was her wake up call that she needed some outside assistance. Um, and she was able to pull it all together, but she tried to do it on her own. And she's the smartest person I know. So if she, if she couldn't pull it <laughs> off in time management wise, I, I now have to trust that I will not be able to either. And so I've been really fortunate to start to build up a team as well. So what do you yeah. find most rewarding about the work you're doing today, Karen? Uh, well, much like my previous work when I was uh, working at Compact, I can see the results of what I do. Uh, so there, there's both the outcome and then um, there's also something around the process that I found really rewarding. Uh, rewarding. But in terms of the outcome, you know, I'm working with organizations where I can see the results of the changes that leadership makes mm. based on the work that we've done. Either as individuals, right, they change their behavior, or uh, as a result of the behavior change, I can see clear business outcomes. And so can they, which is why, you know, repeat work happens, right? Mm. Uh, when the people you're working with are able to make changes that that make a difference in their business. It's so yeah. hard because I've, I've come to realize that the work I do is also about sort of shifting mindset so that they can shift behavior. And so much of what you're doing is that. It's like yes. they know they need something. Um, and I, I've heard people talk about the difference between sort of coaching and consulting and like, is it do it for mm-hmm. you or show you how to do it? And it's like, you really want them to acquire this new skill set and behavior, but they do need some handholding over time. So what's, what's been your way to like get people to have that aha moment? I mean, that's such a big piece of the work. Yeah. Well, the first thing is trust, right? If they don't mm. trust you and trust the process or don't trust you a lot, it's, um, it's hard to make those things happen. Um, and so because most of my work, um, not all of it, but most of my work has come from referrals. So people who know me or who know someone who knows me or know someone who knows someone <laughs> who knows me, right. Um, they're, they're getting, um, sort of, uh, 
referral from someone whose who's word they believe. And so it makes them easier. It makes it easier for them to trust the process. Mm. Um, and so sometimes people know they need uh, to make a change. Sometimes they have big blind spots and it's other people who know mm-hmm. that they need to make a change, right? Those are um, often harder cases. But, you know, I always tell people there's the data and then there's what you do mm-hmm. with the data. So uh, part of my job is to find skillful means uh, to help people see what's going on around them and the impact of their behavior, positive and negative on that. Uh, and then to, uh, to talk about and plan for what might be different. Uh, and then to support them through making the difference. And then to debrief and see what happens. So how long have you now been in business as one team? Uh, about 20 years now. Yeah. Yeah. So can you take me back to the beginning? Like, how did you line up your first few clients? Was it because of your relationship to Compaq? Was that like an in that helped? Oh, I wish I had been so smart. So because ah. you're all about networking and relationships, yeah. uh, this, <laughs> this will make you cringe. I didn't even, I didn't even bring my contact list with me. I mean, I was completely burnt out and I knew I was going to do something different. Uh, and I, I took nothing with me. i literally started from, from scratch for myself. Um, wow. Now, fortunately, uh, my uh, partner and Bob had, uh, had existing clients. And so uh, through those existing clients, we grew our business over time. Mm. But it, uh, it wasn't until I would say within the last decade uh, that I even uh, contacted back many of my compact mm. uh, connections. Yeah. Well, right now um, it's possible in a way that wasn't 20 years ago to write to say hello on LinkedIn. Exactly. And touch it's base. like there's a there's yeah there's a LinkedIn. Oh hi, you know. And the other thing that happened that was so interesting: our founder and um, president for a long time, Rod Canyon, wrote a book uh, called Open Space, and out of that book came a movie called Silicon Cowboys. Uh, that I got had the good fortune to to be featured in. Uh, that was all about the story of Compaq, and that's on now like on Netflix and mm. iTunes. And so people will say, "Oh wow, I saw you, and I hadn't seen you in you know twenty mm. years." And um, and then also just the opportunity to go back to the Compaq campus that I created uh, with my team mm. and experience that again and see people at the uh, it was sort of like a high school reunion right or a college reunion <laughs> people we hadn't seen in 20 years and to sort of rekindle those connections was great so as you're um building your business today mm-hmm. like what are the new challenges I, I i love that i'm talking to someone who's been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years because i do feel like a lot of the pe- people i talk to are in the first five years or so mm-hmm. you know and just to have the challenges change <laughs> I imagine yes. like, it's sort of like goal setting, you know, once you sort of get to a certain goal, you're like, Oh, I have another one. I have another one. I've seen new opportunities everywhere. So yeah. what's been uh, kind of the last few years that you've uh, Bob been kind of working on? Yeah, good question. So I have to say Bob uh, retired like eight or nine years ago. And so I'm back to solopreneur again. I still mm. have him uh, for executive consultation when I need him. <laughs> like, you know, I, I need, I need a psychologist for this. Can you help? Um, but in, um, in general, I'm, I'm working on my own. Um, so the, the challenges the past few years for me have been, uh, one, an awareness that while this network, this referral network that I have is terrific, um, I want to expand my reach further than that because there's a limit to how many people I can touch uh, one-on-one. And so I've uh, got a uh, book contract now. And so I have the challenge of writing the book, uh, which will be out uh, next year, which is going to be terrific. 
as a way to reach other people, and that will support uh, speaking engagements beyond what I've been able to do in the past, uh, which will help me reach other people as well. I'd say that's sort of my the challenge I've set for myself now. I had a, uh, a friend who's also a consultant who said to me last year when I was putting my book proposal together and getting ready, she said, Karen, you're successful, so you know, why are you still working on growing your business? And, uh, and I laughed because I, was, I just never had a thought of anything other than continued, continuous growth. And, and then I realized, you know, one of the things I tell my clients is there's like no steady state in business. So you're either growing or you're falling behind. And, mm. um, and I would much rather be on the growth side of that curve. <laughs> you have to walk your own walk, in other words, <laughs> that you, you're telling everyone else to do it. Yeah, exactly. So the book is also called No Dumbing Down, right? That's exactly. the title. Yeah. Yeah. Also the name of so, my podcast. Yeah. Oh, right. That's right. I'm mm. glad that you're mentioning that because I'm sure people will, will give the link at the end, but uh, I, podcast listeners love to learn about new podcasts. Oh, so. it's been so much fun. I had, I started doing a newsletter maybe three or four years ago now, which was a, a real reach for me to sort of put myself out there that way. And I had really good response. And so I started a podcast a little over a year ago and it's terrific. You know, they're like five or six minutes of uh, really quick tips and uh, mm-hmm. action, what I think of as actionable insights for people uh, to sort of help these help senior leaders make a difference in getting their internal teams aligned. Um, and anyway, it's been a lot of fun. I'm happy, happy to have that as an outlet. Is there something that uh, as you were building this and you're, you know, obviously we're very successful, there's always that, you know, fear of failure or getting something wrong. Is there something related to your business that you're not very good at? And how do you know that it's, it's not yours to do? Like, how do you know oh, that someone else should question. take it on? Yeah. Uh, and I struggle with that a little bit. Um, and I guess if I recognize that I'm struggling with it. Maybe I struggle with it a lot. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's this thing of just because I can doesn't mean I should. Right. Uh, and it, it, it's difficult for me to ask other people for help. I mean, it's one thing to say, okay, you're, you know, to have a book, you can have an accountant, right? That's a, that's a good thing. Um, but it's so much quicker for me to like do my own scheduling and my schedule, um, as you alluded to at the top of the podcast with my frequent appearance in C2C, um, is pretty complicated. And so it's hard for me to figure out how to ask for or get help with that in a way that would be useful. Um, I know mm-hmm. in the beginning, of course, when you hire anyone, there is a learning curve and you have to invest time in order to get a lot more time back. We sort of call it going slow to go fast. Um, so I want to make sure that when I do bring people on board, they're helping me go fast and it's not just a, a continual go slow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would say that's the scheduling, having help with my scheduling is probably the biggest thing because everything else, you know, frankly, for the kind of work that I do is me. Um, mm. it's not, it's not me and a staff of 60 consultants that show up at your door. I do have other people I can bring in if I need them, but the work is all about me and, um, and the relationship I have with the senior leaders that I work with. Is part of your desire to, to grow your business a, a recognition that you're in a more crowded marketplace? Does it feel more crowded than it was 20 years ago? Uh, no, it doesn't. I'm, I know there are a lot of other people who are in and out of consulting uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and it's, it's what I do. And I have a, a base of people that I've worked with. I know that I'm good at what I do because I've seen mm-hmm. the results that can happen when I'm working in partnership with CEOs. Um, 
So I wouldn't say it's in a response to competition. It it might be more in response to there's so many more ways to get the message out now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, why do you get up in the morning and do the work you do? Well, at least for me, and I think for most people, it's because we want to have an impact. Mm-hmm. And if I can, with a little more effort, have a lot more impact, um, I would be wrong with me to not do that. Yeah, a book's a great way to go. And I, having just released one a few months back. It's uh, a lot of work. Um, it's funny. And the process of um, launching my book, I had all these people asking me how I managed launching a book. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> because yeah. uh, it's, and for me, it's like relationships. So it all came back to like the work I already was doing. But I wish you a lot of luck on that because I do think having that out in the world is going to make a big impact all on its own. And attract people to you who want to hear more about the work you're doing. So it's a smart move. So I, I'm giving you a little more kudos because I know I know the effort that goes into <laughs> it with a busy schedule. Yeah. Um, so speaking of busy schedules, though, and this whole idea of, uh, I don't know, finding some kind of, some people would call it work-life balance, but I've started mm-hmm. to feel like that's a misnomer. Yeah, that it's, it is. It's like a work-life integration. That's the word it's I use. Yeah. Something like that. So here's a different way to maybe ask that question. Karen, how do you know when you're not at work? Since work is everywhere all the time, right? I never asked that question. One of the reasons, mm. one of the things I love about this work, my, my work, my business is that I get to bring all the parts of myself to it. And mm-hmm. so it's really just more a matter of where my focus is in the moment. You know, I'm focused on a client or I'm focused on getting the book out or I'm focused on you know, spending time with my husband or I'm focused on, you know, whatever it is I'm focused on. I don't, as long as I am getting the things done that are for myself that are supportive uh, or I'm taking care of myself uh, so I'm able to help support others, then I feel like I'm working in a way that's integrated. I think this idea of balance sets up a, a dichotomy of an either or, which is not real for the way that most of us work today. Um, you just reminded me when I was at Compaq, I actually pitched the idea that we would start a, um, a division. So maybe I'm a little more entrepreneurial early than I thought, uh, called mm. Work Anywhere. <laughs> because Compaq, uh, for those of you that don't know, had the first uh, sort of truly portable computer that was IBM compatible. And that was a, a need for businesses in the day uh, to be compatible with IBM. So this idea of work anywhere was to help people work anywhere, right. To help them, uh, both with processes as well as, uh, tools to make that happen. And of course, today we all work anywhere. Um, yeah. And so the, um, I think the the bigger issue for most people is how do you take care of yourself so that you are, you're not, not just paying attention to what's uh, urgent, but also to what's important. Do you have a feeling like when that starts to not feel um, quite right? Mm-hmm. You know, like I was just talking to a guest who says his first startup, you know, he was always, you know, checking something like laptop at the table on his cell phone while sitting with his family, mm-hmm. you know. And now in his second startup, he's just drawn more lines around that and tried yeah. to be much more present. Yeah. And it, when he has this feeling like, oh, I should just check and respond. It's like, you know what? That can wait. <laughs> and he said that he only learned it by going through such an extreme opposite. Yeah. So do you feel like there are moments where you hit extremes in this and then you're like, I want to get back to equilibrium in some way? 
Yes. Uh, and I have some ways that I do that for myself. And yeah, I think that's a really good example of the guy you were just describing of a blind spot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was a blind spot for him until he hit a wall and then he realized, oh, <laughs> there is a, there's a different and perhaps better way. Uh, so what I do for myself um, is I'm a Zen Buddhist and I do silent meditation retreats twice a year for a week. And during mm-hmm. those times, I am completely unplugged and silent with a large group of other people who are also silent. And the way that works for me, why it works is because it's a time of no new input. And I think that's one of the things that we forget to give ourselves is time to think and time to just be uh, and to sort of consolidate all of this input that's, that's coming our way. Um, I have a friend who had a great phrase. She says, um, be where your feet are. And so mm-hmm. if your feet are at the dining table with your family, you should be at the dining table with your family, right? In, mm-hmm. my, in my family, uh, not uh, you know, on my phone. Uh, if my feet are at my desk, do desk things. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm doing something that's work related, do the work related thing. If I'm doing mm-hmm. something that's that's different than that, do the other thing. Yeah, it sounds like you're really good at thinking about being grounded, and I love this concept of no new input because, well, we used to have a lot more of that time. I mean, driving might have been listening to the radio, but we wouldn't be listening to podcasts. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be content. And if we were like waiting for the bus, we would just be standing there or maybe reading a book, you know, like now I feel like wherever we are, we're constantly like gathering new information right. um, and, and not having enough time to really let it all process. So this two times a year, you're just like giving your brain the space to take everything that's been given to you. And um, Have you had like big moments of aha from being away or has it been more of a quiet like revolution inside of you, a feeling at peace about life. Yeah, so both of those things are true. The the biggest uh, gift for me is the the peace, right? The, uh, the there's a, a great phrase, uh, a guy named Lao Tzu who wrote the Tao Te Ching that many people are aware of. Wrote the second book, and in the second book, he has this phrase that says, "If you think the universe is agitated, go out and look at the night sky." And I love that because every time I get caught up in my stuff or somebody else's stuff, I can just remember that the night sky is not so agitated and that uh, really the universe isn't working that way. Um, so that's really important to me. I think the uh, the aha moments come from, you know, like I think about those as Archimedes moments, right? Because Archimedes had his big aha moment in the bathtub where he was sorting out the volume displacement problem. Uh-huh. And so I don't expect any of us to, you know, run, run nude down the streets yelling Eureka, but we have to give ourselves <laughs> time to think if, uh, if we're going to have those kinds of moments. That's great. Um, is, is there a habit that you're particularly struggling to adapt uh, or adopt into your life? Oh, yes. Uh, it's, you know, it's overdoing. I have, uh, I, I have to sort out continually how to make the best use of my time when I'm traveling. Mm. And so I've, I've tried things. I debrief how that go, what worked, what didn't work. Uh, and, you know, then how, do you, how do you make sure that your energy stays up where it needs to be in order to do the kind of work that I'm committed to doing, uh, mm-hmm. which for me takes a lot of energy. Um, so it's, um, it's energy management. Yeah, especially with the travel, which it's nice that we have these opportunities for virtual connection, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the in-person is so important and it sounds like for your work in particular, you found it really helpful. And so the, yes, the energy and effort it takes to physically 
change locations all the time uh-huh. and do and do the self care um, while you're doing it. This is definitely very important. I wanted to actually just switch gears a little bit sure. and think about um, you know this is a podcast also about networking mm. as you mentioned, and you have developed amazing networks in your lifetime. Um, some of some of which you lost uh, connection with and then started to rekindle. Um, some you've been nurturing the last 10 or so years. What, what is your practice around that? Like how do you nurture these sort of looser or weaker connections that you have? Yeah. So I had to learn that doing things like networking was as much a part of my business as being with clients. Mm. And I think that's, that's a big aha for many people who have their own businesses. The, the, biz, the business of the business is not just the mission of the business. And so you have to spend time on the business of the business, and that includes um, networking. Um, I, as I said earlier, didn't pay a lot of attention to that uh, in the early days of the business. And I've now got, I'm, I'm quite introverted, which doesn't mean I'm a hermit, but I uh, do process internally. And when I go to a party, I spend time with three or four people and have really deep connecting conversations. You know, it's not saying hi to a hundred of my best friends and walking out with their business cards. And mm-hmm. I think it's great that there are people that do that. I need those people in my life. It's just not who I am. Um, and so the, for me, the whole learning about networking was so important and uh, to honor the way that I do it rather than try to make myself do something else, you know, like showing up at, um, at these big networking events and, and just really not having um, useful conversations. I didn't feel good when I left. Uh, and it wasn't, it wasn't useful for my business mm-hmm. or for anybody else for that matter. And so uh, learning, learning my own style and figuring out for myself, how do I network in a way that's deep and connecting? Uh, and I've, I've over time with a lot of trial and error, much like how I learned to be a leader, uh, have figured out a way that works for me. And, and that is really uh, fewer, deeper conversations with people, mm-hmm. um, making myself available when I travel so that I can see people that I, I want to see, um, always making sure that I'm reaching out to new people and not just getting stuck in my, my rut of, uh, of people I've known for a long time. Uh, my newsletter, my podcast, my book, um, being interviewed on podcasts such as these are always for me to, to reach out and get my message uh, out to mm-hmm. other people. So for the people that you've enjoyed over over uh, your life and mm-hmm. you've gotten to know, and I think that's the people, when I work with clients and whether it's one-on-one or masterminds, I'm always, one of my homework assignments tends to be, you know, think about five people that you've worked with 10 or more years ago yeah. that you just really like, like you just enjoyed them mm-hmm. and don't think about what they can do for you today, right? but just find them and figure out what they're up to and reach out. Yeah. So- that's that's a now everyone listening can take that as a homework assignment. Sure, because um, I think it's a it's a low risk proposition. Yeah, but it can get your head around the idea of reaching out. Yeah, because I do think that there's some mental blocks for some people about how to do this, particularly if there has been a, mm-hmm. a lot of time that has passed. Right. Um, but if you have a shared experience of either working together in some way or being an alum of the same association or organization or school then mm-hmm. usually that can help rekindle it quite quickly. Is there, when you're traveling, do you um, host dinner parties? Are you the kind of person to say, hey, I'm going to be at this particular coffee shop, come drop in? 
I know, are you like keeping track of who you want to reach out to next or yeah. is it really happenstance? Like how does, how do you develop all of that? Yeah. Good question. So I just want to back up 30 seconds and say, sure. uh, yesterday I had a conversation with a woman I haven't seen in more than 10 years who I worked with when she was a, a VP director level at a fortune 50 company. Uh, and we, we sort of bumped across each other in social media. And so we set up a call and she, and so that was great, right? To get caught up and hear what was going on in her life and all of that. And she gave me the biggest gift. And so it was a real um, incentive for me to do this with other people. Because what she said to me was, I was in a leadership class a few weeks ago. And now she's like managing 3,000 people, right? She's, uh, mm. she's a senior vice president of this big company. And she said, we had to make a, a, quote, tapestry of the people who had influenced us in the past. And you were part of my tapestry. Now, remember, I haven't, I haven't seen or talked to her in over a decade. Wow. And it was like, exactly, wow. What, yeah. a, what a gift she gave to me, right? This is someone that I hadn't even thought about in a long time. And so to hear that just made me feel so good about the impact of the work that um, it will definitely mm-hmm. encourage me to reach out to other people. Now, so what I do when I travel, mm-hmm. I have I have really good friends now in all the cities that I often go to. So like Atlanta, New York, Boston, Denver. Um, I, I've just met people and developed friendships over the years. And um, many times they're, uh, they're previous clients. So I'm often spending time with those people, which is a way for me to sort of recharge my batteries uh, as opposed to being with a big group. Uh, and I have taught myself a learned behavior of scheduling with other people that I'd like to see that I might not be so naturally drawn to see, right? So it might not be somebody that I'd want to say, hey, let's have dinner, but I might say, let's meet for coffee. Uh, mm-hmm. But rather than, hey, everybody, I'm going to be here, you know, as many of you show up that want to have coffee with me as you want, I prefer, I prefer to have and do better with smaller, more intimate conversations. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's great. And I, I also like the piece where you're just saying, I want to underscore this idea of that that if you only focus on the people that you'd like click with, mm-hmm. um, who are your people, then it, it actually doesn't widen your network quite enough Right. that you have to find ways to still build relationships with people who are kind of different than you, but you still have something in common that you, mm-hmm. makes you want to relate to them. Yeah. Um, So I think that's great. My next book that I'm going to be working on, is called Diversify Your Network. And it's really about that reason. Like, so actually, why do you find it important in your own words? Like, why is it important to kind of have that broader network of people who maybe you don't have quite as much in common with? Yeah, well, for me, and I'm thrilled you're doing a book on this. For me, it's about learning and growing, right? Um, If I am just around people that I know, however much I love them, uh, uh, it's very insular and I always want to be learning and growing and, uh, discovering new things. And that means getting out and meeting people I don't already know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The book's going to be really trying to explain the, the why behind mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. <laughs> with lots of examples from other people, but also sharing some ideas of how to do it, which I think it's gotten easier in the last decade to do this. Um, it was always possible, but I think the incentive is higher now. And the way to do it is probably a little easier now than it had been. Um, but yeah, this idea of, of broadening our network. So, so speaking of actually having a strong supportive network, what, mm-hmm. what would the advice that you'd give yourself maybe at 25? Mm. Or you can also think of this as 
the advice you'd give someone else who's just getting started, uh-huh. what, what would you give them as the, the number one thing that they should be working on to, to sort of encourage that strong supportive network? Yeah. Well, I think the, the first thing is to realize that that is a must have in your life. Mm. It's not a nice to have. It's not a, I'll do it later. It's a must have. Uh, and that's for all kinds of reasons. I mean, it's really good for your business if you decide to be an entrepreneur. But most importantly, it allows you to know more people that you can, you can be supportive and be helpful with. Uh, and it gives you uh, it gives them a chance to be supportive and helpful for you. And I think both of those things are important, both the give and the get. And um, when you have a big network, you're more likely to know someone who knows someone mm-hmm. who can uh, who can get the thing done that you need to have done or provide the support that needs to be provided. You know, I, I got a call a couple of weeks ago from a guy who his uh, <laughs> ex stepmother's son. So this is like mm-hmm. pretty removed, right? Uh, needed some help, but it had to go through yet another third party. And, you know, if I hadn't kept up with this guy, I never ever would have been put in a position where I could support this person. Right. Uh, and that was just from not a lot of effort, but keeping somebody in my life that I, that I enjoyed being around, although we didn't right. see each other very much. And so, you know, understanding that a network is important, not just for you, but for the people on the other side is really important and for me motivating. That's awesome. I really love that idea that it's, it's two way. Mm. And, and, you know, some people have a hard time doing this because they think of of it as being too much about what's in it for them. And you just reframed it so quickly to say, actually, by nurturing your your network, you're helping the people on the other end of the network. Right. (laughs) And and their connections and their third party connections. So what's a, great reframe that I think might help some people who are still struggling to figure out how do I do this in a way that feels um, ethical and authentic and all the words genuine that we, right. we all the buzzwords that we want to be. Um, but if you really are about thinking about giving and also being open to what other people are sharing with you. So when, when we have a chance to talk a year from now, mm. I want to be celebrating with you. I want to be like toasting your success. So I'm wondering when we stand to do that, what will we be celebrating? What are the successes you have on the horizon? Yeah, so um, I've got a, a great visualization there, and it will um, it will include bubbles and high fives. So mm-hmm, <laughs> we'll start certainly. with that, right? Um, and um, it'll it will include uh, my new book, uh, No Dumbing Down, which will be out and in the hands of others by then, uh, which will be a pretty exciting uh, moment for me. And I hope for the people who are reading it. So we'll definitely be celebrating that. Um, we'll be celebrating um, the speeches that will have been generated as a result of publishing the book. Um, and we'll be celebrating my most successful year ever, uh, both in terms of my outreach, the number of people that I'm reaching, and the type of work that I'm doing. Um, I have amazing new clients uh, that have just come on board. And if I can uh, be of service to them in the way that I have my clients in the past, uh, we will indeed have a lot to celebrate next year. Well, that all sounds fantastic. I can't wait to actually do that toast with you, a little bubbly. So how can people find you and follow your work? Yeah, thanks for including that. So uh, my website, oneteamconsulting.com, and that's one team all spelled out, O-N-E-T-E-A-M, oneteamconsulting.com. You can follow me on Twitter at oneteam, O-N-E-T-E-A-M. I'm on LinkedIn at Karen, middle initial D is in Denise Walker, Karen D. Walker on LinkedIn. 
And um, if nothing else, you can remember No Dumbing Down. So nodumbingdown.com will definitely direct you back to me. Fantastic. And we will put links to all that in the show notes. Um, And thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Oh, Robbie, thank you. It was a lot of fun and uh, you're doing important work. Thanks. Thanks, Karen. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Karen. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 81, which is also where you'll find all the links from today's episode. And don't forget, if you're ready to shift the way you approach the world so you're more open to possibilities, I'm putting together that intimate group experience to help folks tackle these issues. Check out all the details at robbysamuels.com forward slash mastermind. If you enjoyed this episode with Karen, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on iTunes. It's easy to find our iTunes page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you, and I look forward to connecting again next week. I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.